And so with that being said, let's go ahead and open up the scriptures. We're in the New Testament now. Went through Joshua, then Judges. Now we're in Romans. Fast forward to the New Testament by a lot. Romans. So Lord willing, we'll study Romans 1, verses 1 through 15 tonight. And what I want to use for a title is I-O-U. You know, I wasn't lazy. I just, you know, didn't feel like writing all the words out. But I-O-U, and, and we'll get to that by the end of tonight's study. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we, we thank you for today. We thank you for all your blessings. We thank you for your presence in our lives, your presence in this place, on this campus. Thank you for every ministry that's going on tonight, every servant. We pray that you would empower and help each servant, no matter what capacity they're serving in, to serve in gratitude and joy and love. May people sense your presence and your love, Lord, when they step foot on this campus. And Father, we give this service to you. We pray that your word will go forth and not return void as we continue our worship through studying your word. I pray, Lord, for a fresh filling of your spirit. And I pray for each and every heart that's represented tonight in this place to be open and receptive to your word, to what you want to speak into our lives. And also to the work of your spirit. And Father, may we leave this place better than when we came in. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So whenever we start a new book or, in this case, letter of the Bible, we always want to start with some background information or the historical context. As many of you know, the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. But the human writer are men or people that God set apart to write down his breathe out or inspired word. And the person that's used for Romans, this letter to the Romans was the apostle Paul, also known as Saul of Tarsus. A man who once persecuted the church. And so the apostle Paul received from the Holy Spirit. And then the apostle Paul spoke the information in this letter to a man named Tertius. And Tertius wrote down the words that the apostle Paul dictated to him. The words he received from the Holy Spirit. And you find that in Romans 16, verse 22. Now, this letter was written to the saints, the believers in Rome, around A.D. 57 from the city of Corinth. And this took place during the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey. Now, I do want to share with you that the church in Rome was made up mostly of Gentiles and There were some Jews mixed in. And you'll see in this letter that he addresses both the Gentile believers in Rome as well as 
to Jewish believers in Rome. You also find that this wasn't just one church that he's writing to. Because you'll see in Romans chapter 16 that that Paul actually greeted many people, many believers who were a part of some home church groups. Now, at the time he wrote this apostle or this letter, this epistle, I meant he had not been to Rome. However, as we continue to read the scriptures, especially in chapter 16, we see that. Some of them personally knew him and he knew them because he called them out or greeted them by name. And so the apostle Paul had a had a plan. His plan was to go to Jerusalem first. Deliver the the collection that he had taken up from the Gentile believers to the Jerusalem saints. And then his intention was to make a fourth missionary journey to Spain. And he was hoping to stop in Rome. They spend some time together and then they help him on his way to Spain. And so he planned that fourth missionary journey. But as we continue to read the scriptures, or if we go back, we see, well, back to the book of Acts, because... Of course, in the scriptures, it comes before Romans. But if we go to the book of Acts, to the last chapter, we see that the apostle Paul indeed made it to Rome. But it wasn't the way he planned on making it. Because when he made it to Rome, he made it there as a prisoner. Now, how many of us have planned in our hearts to do something? And we were so confident that we were going to get to that place or do whatever that thing is that was on our heart to do. But it doesn't turn out the way we planned it. Many of us have been in that place and so was the Apostle Paul eventually when he did make it to Rome. Now, many Bible scholars have called Romans the constitution of Christianity And that's because Romans is known for being the most detailed account of Christian doctrine or teaching. So if you want to know what we should believe or what Christians believe as a whole, fundamental or essential doctrines or teachings of our faith, you can look at this letter to the Romans. Because it is in this letter to the Romans that we learn of man's need for salvation. We learn of the doctrine or the teachings of salvation as a whole. We also learn of Israel's current unbelief. We learn of Israel's relationship to the Gentiles. We also learn of Israel's future. And then, of course, we read about instruction in Christian living. And so many, again, consider this to be the constitution of Christianity, a very rich letter. And as I was studying for this lesson, especially for this introductory part of this lesson, I come across an article. Actually, I looked for the article because I wanted to see how many 
verses from Romans were the favorite verses in the previous year. And what I found is that two verses from Romans came in the top 10 of the most popular Bible verses in 2018 on Bible Gateway, which is, could be an app or you can go online to Bible Gateway and read the Bible. But coming in at number four was Romans 8, 28. And coming in at number six, Romans 12, verse two. So in all these scriptures in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you have two verses from the letter to the Romans that came in the top 10 in 2018. And as I mentioned those verses, and I just want to share these interesting facts with you about this letter to show you how important it is. But as you read those verses or have heard of those verses, you may have those verses highlighted. But my prayer is that as we continue in these studies, that you'll highlight even more, because literally you can highlight the entire letter. And some of you have. But what we want to do is start and go piece by piece, pray for a timely word, see what the Lord has for us tonight. And so if you will, let's go to chapter one, verse one and see what we can highlight. See what we can make our favorite verses tonight. In verse one, it says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel. That is the good news of God. I want to pause right there because there is a lot said there. And then I won't do this for every verse. But I just want to point out, as you see here, that he understands his calling. Called to be an apostle. An apostle is a messenger or one who was sent forth with orders. And of course, he received his orders from none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was sent forth as a messenger who was separated or set apart for God's purpose. And that purpose, of course, was to share the gospel of God, the good news of God. And so in verse one, we see the source of the gospel. It comes from God, the father. We also see that Paul called himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And a bondservant comes from the Greek word doulos. And it means a slave or just plain servant. And, and figuratively or metaphorically, it's referring to one who gives himself or herself up to another's will. So in other words, I lay my will aside. I deny myself. I take up my cross and I follow him daily. And so when we deny ourselves and take up Christ's will for our lives, we forget ourselves. We set our own will aside and we take up our cross. And when you hear about cross, you think of crucifixion, you think of death. So yes, daily we have to die to ourselves, our own selfishness, our flesh. But also literally we have to be prepared to die for the name of Jesus Christ. Literally. So it is one who is absolutely devoted to Christ. Bond serving. That's how the Apostle Paul saw himself. 
And the question that I want to throw out there to you is, and actually to all of us is, do we see ourselves as slaves or servants of Christ? Meaning that he is our master. We take up his will for our lives. We don't look to ourselves or to anybody else about what's best for us, but we look to him. We don't look within ourselves or within some type of secular book to find out the steps we should be walking in, but we go to him. Lord, whatever you want for me, that's what I want for me. So do you consider yourselves, do you see yourself as his servant, his bond servant? And are we willing to set aside our wants, our selfish desires, no matter how cool or how slick they seem to be? Oh, but Lord, I got a degree in this area, so let me have my way and do that. But God may have a different plan for us. Verse two, which now again, this is speaking of the gospel of God. He promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, the Holy Scriptures at this point refers to the Old Testament. The Holy Scriptures. And so, yes, in the Old Testament, we see prophecies of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that came from God, the father. For example, in Isaiah 53, five, we see that he was wounded or pierced for our transgressions, our rebellion. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities, which is our moral evil, our sin. And then it says the chastisement for our peace was upon him. In other words, in order for us to have peace with God, Jesus would take on the chastisement. He would take our punishment for sin in order for us, again, to have peace with God. And by his stripes or by his wounds, these wounds or these stripes here that is talking about are blows that cut into the skin. Now, this is in Isaiah. This is Old Testament. This is like reading another gospel here. And so you see what it's talking about here in verse two, that God promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, this gospel, this good news. But by his stripes, notice we are healed, eternally healed. Those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. But also in the Old Testament, not only do we see prophecies about the gospel of Jesus Christ, We also see shadows or types of Christ. Because if you look in Genesis 22, and this is just one example, you remember that God tested Abraham. He told him to offer his son, his only son, Isaac, as a burnt offering. And of course, when Abraham was about to sacrifice his son on this altar that he built, the angel of the Lord. That is, Jesus in the Old Testament stopped him. And then the Lord had provided a ram that was caught in a thicket. And that ram was offered in the place of Isaac. And so we see a couple things there. First of all, we see a picture of his father or of a father about to sacrifice his son. Now, Abraham didn't go through with it, but God the father did. Poured his wrath that should have been poured upon us because Ephesians tells us that by nature we are children of wrath. That is God's wrath. And that's because of sin. 
But Jesus took the wrath of the father upon himself so that we won't have to take that wrath upon ourselves. And so God, the father went through with it, but he just gave a glimpse through Abraham and Isaac of what he would do. But not only that, but that ram that took the place of Isaac was also a picture of Christ taking our place of punishment. And so those are a couple examples of how God promised beforehand through the scriptures, this glorious gospel that we receive today, that we're able to read today through prophecies, through shadows, through types. Now in verse three, now this gospel of God concerns or is about his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. And again, we know from the scriptures that the Messiah, the Christ, which means anointed one, this savior, this coming savior. We know that as a human, he will be born of the seed of David. And so already we are seeing some essentials, some basic fundamental teachings of Christianity. And one of them is here that the Messiah will be of the seed of David. But it also suggests that Jesus will be fully human. So the Messiah will be fully human. And so we see that there. But check this out in verse four. And it says, and declared or shown to be the son of God with power. Fully God. And so we see some basic doctrines there already. He's fully human according uh, to the flesh. Again, he was of the seed of David. And then the son of God with power declared to be that with power or in a triumphant and miraculous way. According to what? According to the spirit of holiness, which is a reference to the Holy Spirit by the resurrection from the dead. That means that this resurrection removes all doubt about who Jesus is. Not only is it the stamp or the receipt that God received Jesus's sacrifice for our sin. It's the receipt that, hey, is paid in full. Number one, that's what the resurrection shows. But it also proves that Jesus is indeed the son of God and that we can trust that he is who he said he is. It put the stamp of approval on his person and his ministry. Now, son of God, what does that mean? Again, essential, fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. It is a title talking about his nature. Not that he was biologically as a whole in his entire being or in his essence, a son of God. Humanity, yes, at one point he became a human, took upon a body. But as a whole, he always was the son of God, always was God, always will be God. And so son means that he possesses the nature of or he is of the order of God. And so it suggests, in other words, equality with God. When it says that Jesus is the son of God, it suggests equality with him. And I explain it to you this way. First of all, I have three sons, one daughter. All of them, of course, you know, my wife and I together came from our bodies, mostly, well, her, she did most of the work, of course, but we have to work together on that. You guys get me on that. 
but they have the same nature as me. They are not me, but they have the same nature as me. They're human. And it's the same thing when it comes to Jesus, when we say he's the son of God. That means everything that makes God, God, Jesus is that the same nature of God. And the Jews understood that because they said in John five eighteen, and I'll turn it there. It says, therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father. Now, what did that mean when he say God was his father? It says making himself equal with God. So, again, it means of the order of God or possessing the same nature of God, which makes him essentially God. In verses five and six, it says through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So he received grace, God's favor and the role of an apostle in order to lead people to obey, to obey the gospel. By how? By repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus. Among whom? Among these nations, speaking to the Roman church, you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Now here's the greeting. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Saints means holy or set apart people. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this greeting, He's talking about the grace that keeps us, helps us, and strengthens us in the Christian life. And the peace that he's talking about here is the the, the peace that that speaks of inner calmness and spiritual well-being. And both of them are gifts from God the Father and Jesus. And so if we're ever going to experience the peace of God, we must first have peace with God. And that is only by repenting and putting our faith in Jesus Christ. But there's something also interesting about this, this greeting that we see in many of the Apostle Paul's letters. And some Bible scholars have actually pointed this out. What they see here is the combination of the Greek greeting of grace and also the Jewish greeting of peace. Shalom. And so you have this Greek greeting of grace and the Jewish greeting of peace together in the same statement. And many Bible scholars have pointed out that it suggests or it points to the fact that both Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus Christ are a part of one body, just like they are a part of one greeting here. Now, first in verse eight, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That is the whole Roman empire. Their faith. So I wonder what are people saying about our faith? Obviously, they can't see your heart. They can't see your faith like God sees it. Even before it's acted upon. But how can people see our faith? By our actions. James 2.26 says. 
For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So through their works, people can see their faith. Can people see our faith? If we say that we love God and we trust God, can people see that? That we trust God's word, that what God says is right or what God says is wrong. We, we trust his word. We trust him to be trustworthy, to be a faithful God. Can they see that acted out in our lifestyles? If we say that we have faith that Jesus Christ is coming back soon, can they see our faith in our lifestyle? That we're living like we can expect him to come back anytime soon. And so can anybody see our faith? Like they saw these Romans faith. And it says in verse nine, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. Significant. He serves God with his spirit as opposed to in the flesh. Anybody could do outward works, but it doesn't mean that they are serving God in the spirit. Scriptures say that God is spirit. And if anybody's going to worship him, it must be in spirit and in truth. That's why we need to be born again. We need to serve him with our spirit. The Bible also talks about people drawing near to God with their mouths, but their hearts are far from him. Let that not be said of us, but the apostle Paul said he served God with his spirit. In telling the gospel, the good news of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you Always in my prayers, making requests by some means. Now, at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you again. He's he's never been there, but he's looking forward to it. He's writing this letter in preparation of his hopeful visit there. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established or strengthened. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Pay attention to those verses in in verses 10 through 11. He had a desire to be around the saints, many of whom he didn't know. Do we have that same desire to be around the saints? To be around the brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we look forward to that, to that like the apostle Paul did? And notice that he also wanted to come and, and impart to them some spiritual gifts so that they may be strengthened. And so he didn't come just to take, 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 just to be a consumer. Notice that he wanted to be around them to be a blessing. Do we come when we gather together, whether it's a home fellowship, adult Sunday school, Wednesday night, Sunday morning? Do we come just to be consumers or are we coming to be a blessing as well? That was what was on the Apostle Paul's heart. I want to 
I want to be around you guys to be a blessing. How many of us wake up and say, I want to I want to go to service and be around my brothers and sisters. I need to be refreshed. And I want to be a blessing somehow, some way. I want to impart to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to impart to them some spiritual gifts so that they may be strengthened or encouraged. How many of us wake up on a Sunday morning or get off of work or if you're retired, come from home on a Wednesday night with that type of mindset? How can I be a blessing? No, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, verse 13, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered. I was prevented until now. That I might have some fruit or some results among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. And so he was in, he was hindered. He was prevented from coming to them when he wanted to. And sometimes God hinders us or even allows Satan to hinder us. Remember, God is in control. He can even use the evil decisions of people and of Satan to accomplish his purposes. And so sometimes God hinders us or allows the devil to hinder us for his purposes. Now, maybe some of you are hindered tonight. You want to do something or maybe you even know what God called you to do and you know it's the right thing to do. And you're trying to move forward, but you keep being prevented or hindered. It's not working out. Those doors keep closing in your face. You keep getting rejected. It seems like it's about to work out. But all of a sudden it turns around from the, for the worse, at least in your eyes. Now, could that hindrance be there because we're trying to get ahead of God's will? Or could it be because God needs us to be in the oven, so to speak, a little while longer to get done? Maybe we're only half ready. Maybe we're still pink or raw. Maybe God is hindering us to say, okay, you need to cook a little while longer. Maybe that's the reason for the prevention or the hindrances. Or maybe it is to protect us or maybe even others. How many of us are getting ready or have been in that place where you're getting ready to leave the house and all of a sudden you can't find your keys and now you're running late. But then you find out as you're on the road that there's some type of accident ahead of you. And that could have been you. Or maybe you could have caused that. And God even knows the possibilities of our decisions He knows the possibilities of what could be because he's an all-knowing God. And so maybe sometimes we're hindered for our own protection. So maybe instead of being frustrated, maybe we can say, oh, thank you, God, because you know better than me. You know way more than I do. God, you know the end from the beginning. You know all of my ways. You know my sitting down. You know my rising up. You know my thoughts from afar off. Thank you, God, for the hindrance. Because God knows what's best for us. And the Apostle Paul 
or the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says this in verses 14 and 15. He says, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And I have a quick question for you. Because we see that word debtor there. And, and the question that I want to pose to you is, have you, have you ever borrowed something and left maybe an IOU note? IOU, of course, is short for the words I-O-U, if you spell them out. So have you ever borrowed something from the piggy bank or penny bank, whatever you want to call it? Left a little note there. Maybe you took a $20 bill from your husband's wallet. Maybe vice versa. And maybe not left an IOU there, but said, hey, I took this money. Something needed to be bought. The kids needed lunch money, whatever the case was. And so we left the IOU note just to let the person know that, hey, I, I acknowledge that I owe you something. I acknowledge that I am in debt to you and, and I plan to pay you back. And so you're saying to them that, yes, I am obligated to pay you back. I owe you. I'm indebted to you. And in the Apostle Paul's mind, he owed it to people. Or he was under the obligation or it was his duty to share the gospel with them. That was his mindset. And I find evidence in the scriptures that Paul felt this way because, number one, he was called by God to do it. Called by God to share the gospel. In 1 Corinthians nine sixteen, it says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. And so he's saying, if I preach the gospel, it's not because I rolled out of bed and, and, and I thought that it was a great idea. And, and so I'm not going to boast about that because it's a great idea to want to preach the gospel, to to feel obligated to other people, to share the gospel with them. But the truth is, the Apostle Paul is saying in First Corinthians nine sixteen is Necessity is laid upon me. The reason I share the gospel, why I preach so hard, he's saying, is it's because God called me to do it. It wasn't my great idea. And then he says, yes, woe is me or how terrible it would be for me if I do not preach the gospel. And so that's one reason that he saw himself indebted to other people to preach the gospel to them. A second reason I believe he felt this way is because he had the heart of Jesus towards people. Matter of fact, as we continue to read this letter to the Romans, we'll see his heart for Israel. That, that he would even wish himself to be accursed and separated from Christ so that his, his brethren, according to the flesh, could be saved. And so he had a couple of reasons to feel that obligation or to have that IOU mindset when it when it came to sharing the gospel. But because 
of this feeling of obligation, which I will call in this message the IOU attitude. Because of that IOU attitude of the Apostle Paul, he was even ready, as we see here in verse 15, to preach this gospel to the Romans. And now I doubt that he was planning to share this gospel message only with the church, only with the believers in Rome. And I say that because they were already saved. And so the purpose of sharing the gospel with the believers in Rome would have most likely been to establish them in the true gospel message, to make sure that they're believing the wrong, the right thing and not believing the wrong thing. To make sure that if they needed to make corrections in the true gospel, that they could make those corrections in that doctrine. And so that will be his purpose, I believe, for sharing that, that true gospel, that pure gospel that he shared with the believers in Rome. But on the other hand, I believe, of course, that he, he planned to share the gospel with unbelievers in Rome. Because they were not saved, of course. And so I believe he had a dual purpose in mind in verse 15. And sharing that same gospel in Rome. And with the Apostle Paul, what we figured out in verse 14, if we're paying attention, the background of the believer didn't really matter to him. He didn't care about anybody's background when it came to preaching the gospel or sharing that good news that came from God. Remember, he's the source and that gospel, that good news is about Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Good news for us. And so he didn't care what their background was. In fact, the people who made his list of people to share the gospel with, of people he felt obligated to, that he felt a duty to share the gospel with, included the Greeks and the barbarians, which may refer to the non-Greeks and the other Gentiles who were not Greeks. It could also refer to the Greek speakers or the non-Greek speakers. Or maybe Greek and barbarians refer to the civilized or the non-civilized people. But either way, they made his list. He didn't care where they stood at that point in their lives, what their background is, but he just felt indebted to share the gospel with them. Other people who made his list of people that he was indebted to, to share the gospel with, were the wise and the foolish. I don't care if you educate it or if you're uneducated, I'm indebted to share the gospel with you. And there's an illustration that I want to use, and it's actually found in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, there is a book called Second Kings. And during that time of Second Kings, Elisha was a prophet. And there was a king of Syria who was making war against Israel and he had gathered his army and he surrounded the city of Samaria, which again was a city in, in the northern kingdom in Israel at that time because the kingdom was split. Now, as that Syrian army surrounded the city of Samaria, it caused people to starve. People were dying. People were even eating their children. There was a famine. If they tried to escape the city, they will be slaughtered. 
And so they had no choice to stay in and starve, eat whatever they could eat. But also during that time, the, the scriptures talk about these four men who were lepers. They had this disease called leprosy. And they sat at the entrance of the gate to the city of Samaria. Now, at this point, they were desperate. And so they said, if we sit here and do nothing, we just go die. So, hey, let's take our chances and let, let's go ahead and go out. And if we die, we die. But but let's go ahead and surrender to the Syrian army. And so these four lepers, they took off. Now, to their surprise, the Syrian army was gone because by some type of miracle by God, they, they became afraid. They took off and they left their goods there. And so these lepers, they came to the outskirts of, of where the Syrian army was and they found food. And so they ate, they drank, they even found silver, gold, clothing, and they hid them. They hid that good stuff that they found. And then they, they went back, they went into another tent and they did the same thing, took more stuff and hid them. And then in 2 Kings 7, 9, I just love what it says here. It says, then these four lepers said to one another, hey, we are not doing right. This day is a day of guess. Check this out of good news. This day is a day of good news. We're not doing right. We're eating. People in the city are starving and we're eating and we're hiding this stuff. It's a day of good news. And guess what? And we, these lepers said, remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. And so they passed the word along to the king's messengers and they verified the lepers claims that, hey, man, all, all this stuff is really there. People can go out. They can eat. They can get goods. And in Second Kings seven sixteen, it says, then the people went out and they plundered the tents of the Assyrians. I want you to pay attention and really tune in real quick to what happened in this story, because at one point in the story, the the lepers, these four lepers, they filled their bellies. Oh, they got the good stuff. They got the gold. They found the clothing and then they hid it. And that question comes up to me that I want to share with you is have at one point we been like these four lepers and maybe we're like that right now. Have we been keeping back from others what is valuable? Uh, let's make it plain. Have we been keeping back the good news? Just like they said, oh, this is the day of good news. Have we been keeping back to make it more plainer the gospel, which is something valuable? Have we been keeping that back from people? Have we remained silent just like these lepers did at one point? Or do we have the IOU attitude? Do we have that sense of obligation, that sense that we are indebted to people? Some of us call that a burden, this heavy load, this heavy desire upon us to share the gospel with all people. Do we have that heavy burden? Do we do we have that heavy load to share whatever gives life? Just like these four lepers did, they finally came to their senses and they said, hey, we got to share this with somebody. Do we have that IOU attitude? 
We are obligated to share this with somebody. There's people in our city who are dying, people who are dying from the famine. And spiritually, there are people dying from a famine. They're, they're looking for something that will satisfy them, but spiritually, they are starving. They are looking for something that will give them life, but spiritually, they are dead because we keep silent. We keep the good news and, and we hide it. Something that could give them life if they would just receive it. And just as Paul understood, there was no discrimination when it came to the gospel. He didn't care if they were barbarian. He didn't care if they were the uneducated. He didn't care. And, and maybe we should have that, that heart of the apostle Paul. Maybe we should have the heart of these four lepers back in second Kings chapter seven. The heart to share the good news without discrimination. The lepers didn't say, hey, you, you and you who related to me. No, you're too ugly. You can't get some of this stuff that we found. They didn't say that, but everybody was welcome to what they found in the Syrian camp. And everybody was welcome to the gospel in the mind of the apostle Paul because he had an IOU attitude. That, hey, I am indebted to you. I am obligated to share this good news with you because it is life for all of us. No discrimination. I don't care if it's a CEO, an employer, homosexual, straight. The gospel is for everybody. The gospel can change anybody's life. The apostle Paul, of course, was a murderer, a persecutor of the church to the point where he called himself the chief of sinners. And this gospel message that he received changed his life. And so he felt that obligation. Not only was he called to be an apostle, but since God changed his life, I am obligated. I have this duty to share the gospel with other people because if he can change, and I'm speaking as if I'm the, I'm the apostle Paul, if he can change a murderer, a persecutor of the bride of Christ like me, he can change a barbarian. He can change a person who is sophisticated, who is Greek. He could change a non-believing Jew. He can change a person who was a thief. He can change the religious elite he can change a muslim he can change a mormon just share the gospel with them do we have that iou attitude and as we call the the worship team up tonight i believe it's just matt we thank god for matt i just want to share with you a final exhortation just three points number one Pray that we'll have the desire or burden to share the gospel with other people. Number two, pray for open doors to share the gospel. And finally, be faithful to the part God wants you to play. Maybe it's your role to sow the seed of the word. They may reject you, but maybe it's your role to share John 3:16 and move on. Maybe it's your role just to say, "Hey, Jesus loves you." Maybe it's your role to to hand them a tract. Or maybe it's your role to be 
the person who waters that seed that was sown. Maybe that's your role. Or maybe it's your role to be the one who reaps. The one who cuts or gather the crops. In other words, the one who actually prays with them to receive Christ. And so just to reiterate, the third point is to be faithful to the part God wants you to play. If you're faithful to your part, however big or small you see that part to be in sharing the gospel, if you're faithful and you deal with the pure motive, of course, on judgment day, which judgment day for believers is reward day, you'll receive your reward from him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the gospel that comes from you. We thank you for the gospel that is about Jesus Christ. We thank you for those of us who have been changed through receiving the Jesus that this gospel message shares about. And we pray, Father, that you help us to have a burden for whomever you you want us to have a burden for. I pray, Lord, over my brothers and sisters tonight, I pray for boldness. I pray that on a daily basis we'll make it a part of our prayers to ask for open doors. I pray, Father, that we'll we'll truly remember that this good news is too good to hide and not share. And Lord, I pray for anybody tonight who has not put their faith in Jesus Christ of the Bible. Not any other Jesus, but this Jesus of these holy scriptures. I pray that you would draw them, that you would remove the spiritual blinders. That you would remove the excuses. And Lord, We thank you for the opportunity to serve you, to be a part of the body of Christ. I pray your blessing over my brothers and sisters for protection, for provision, for a fresh filling of your spirit. I pray for open doors at work. I pray for open doors in their community. I pray against the spirit of fear. Because that's not the spirit you gave us. But one of power, love, and of a sound mind. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
If anybody needs prayer tonight, please feel free to come forward. We'll be here in front of the stage, ground level. We pray with you, pray for you. But also, please feel free to pray for one another. Because the preachers, the the pastors are not the only people. The worship leader are not the only people with the Holy Spirit. So feel free to pray for each other. Amen. Thank you so much for coming out. Keep each other in prayer. God bless you. Amen.
My God, you never will. I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. Give me faith to trust what you say. That you're good and your love is great. I'm broken inside. I give you my life. Give me faith. Give me faith to trust what you say. That you're good. Your love is great. I'm broken inside. I give you my life. I give you my life. I may be weak. I may be weak. Your Spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. I may be weak, but your Spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, my God, you never will. Yes, Lord. God, we thank you that we don't have to place our hope and our trust in our own strength, but that we can allow your spirit to be strong in us. All we have to do is hear you and obey you. And so we pray simply that we would be seeking after you to find out what you want us to do specifically, and that we would just obey. Just take that step of faith, God. So often... We feel like we're too busy or whatever the case may be, we make excuses. Lord, but help us to be like Paul, that bond servant, to count his life as nothing for the sake of the gospel and to go out and share with anyone and everyone. So help us, God, in our circles of influence. Show us where we can serve. Show us where we can share. Lord, there's so many dying and lost around us. Help us to have compassion like you have compassion. Give us your heart. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come up for prayer if you need prayer.